Hi, it's Justine Harcourt de Dorville. And in this episode of the virtual podcast, we're going to be talking to Kanan Rubin. Kanan has a long storied history in broadcast television and was recently at Jaunt International in London as an executive producer. But with the changes there, he's gone back to Los Angeles and he's going to share with us his insights in VR industry as a whole and what's next. Welcome. And Kanan, I wondered if you wouldn't mind telling me a little bit about your career path. What happened? <laughs> what happened? That's that's a good way of uh, of asking it. Um, it wasn't like a train wreck. It was more like uh, it's been a long, steady journey. Across. Well, you're always in entertainment. We, I, this I know. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I, you know, I guess I started out um, in the front of camera side of things at Ithaca College. We both studied in Ithaca in a small town in upstate New York. You were Cornell. I was at IC. Um, in, in theater and acting and directing and that side of things. And then I quickly sort of outgrew the small town. Um, and I transferred out of there and went to American University, which offered me the opportunity to work, uh, at Entertainment Tonight in Hollywood for the summer and for business television and, and some other things that DC had going on. Um, so my career, thanks to, in a large part to AU and that internship with Entertainment Tonight, uh, started in broadcast TV. Uh, back in the 90s. And that got you to L.A., right? Yeah, that got me to L.A. I, well, I did the internship in L.A. And then the guy, production manager at the end of the summer, handed me a number. He said, hey, when you go back to D.C., call this woman. Um, her name was Joelle Norwood. And she's been you know, a mentor in my career throughout. Um, she still, you know, to this day, inspires me. She was running a field office uh, that handled not only Entertainment Tonight, but they did uh, MTV and E entertainment television, hard copy, going back that far, current affair. <laughs> for, for anyone who remembers, we're not dating ourselves yeah, at, at all. I mean, yeah, hey, we're, I, about, I, we're about twenty-two. <laughs> at the time, I was twenty. <laughs> so, so I was in the Oval Office with uh, Clinton and Tabitha Soren back in ninety-five, and I literally think I was like twenty-two years old. I was the PA on shoots like that. Um, and then, and, and to, to be clear, you were the PA on shoots that involved a current sitting president in the United States. That's no small potatoes. No, no small, no small potatoes. And, you know, I, I was lucky, but I was also extremely hardworking. Um, you know, part of working for Joelle at the time meant doing all the stuff she didn't really want to do. So weekend shoots. You know, she would send me out in the field with the crew and be like, you know, it's, it's no biggie. Disney wants to open up a theme park in suburban Virginia. The residents are posed. Go get the story. I'm like, OK. <laughs> you know, I had really no idea what I was doing, but sort of, you know, watched her do it during the week and then on the weekends figured out how to do it myself. Anyway, that led to me going out to Hollywood um, when uh, Entertainment Tonight uh, got Linda Bell Blue as executive producer. I worked for Linda for the better part of 17 years, um, on and off, mostly on. Uh, but as a lot of people who worked on day and date TV shows know, it, it's a really hard schedule. And you're in at 6 o'clock every day. You're putting a tw half hour show on air by 1 in the afternoon. It's really intense. And, uh, you know, there were periods where I, I broke off. Uh, I, I did a serial commercial. I acted in a serial commercial, uh, created a TV show for MTV that I was able to executive produce that was called Duets. Um, so I was able to do a lot of projects on the side, um, but it's pretty, pretty much stuck with uh, – I eventually became a director uh, at Entertainment Tonight 
and then helped Linda launch The Insider, which was sort of a spinoff show. So there's a lot of spinoff DNA in the room. We'll get to that. But a digital domain spinning off Iconic Engine. I'm sort of familiar with, uh, you know, one big entity giving birth to another and then, you know, setting it off into the world to... And you're always with the, the child, the, the baby, the baby portion. I, I, I guess. Yeah. In, in real life, I'm not good with babies, but I guess <laughs> in my career, I'm all right. All right. Career babies are your thing. Well, um, other but, people's career. Babies. Other people's career. All right. And then what happened, though? How did we go from Hollywood and Entertainment Tonight somehow into immersive? Yeah, I mean, sort of how, you know, I, they weren't really decisions that I woke up one day and I said, I've got to work in immersive. Rewind to when I was leaving broadcast to go into more digital, that sort of was an evolutionary thing, you know, as more content was being made for digital first networks, um, website streaming and all that. Uh, then into immersive, I see it as, no matter what field you're working in, whether it's broadcast, radio even, or you know, podcasts like this, there's still elements of basic production that you need <laughs> to be like successful. Like hundreds of emails and, and time and coordinating all the things, yeah. Call sheets. <laughs> <laughs> Start with that. Oh. Um, I've, I've learned the hard way that no matter how small the, uh, the production is, you know, just do the basic diligence. Do call sheets. Make sure everyone confirms. Make sure people have the basic information. Um, and then scale it up from there. Uh, nowadays, when, when I was running production for John in uh, London, for John internationally – uh, the, the first thing I needed was a great producer, production manager, then someone to sort of run post-production. It's really the basics. And the basics that I learned in broadcast TV, going back all the way to Joel and being a PA in the White House on that MTV shoot, followed me, you know, into the deserts of Saudi Arabia and on a, you know, America's Cup yacht in Bermuda, the kind of stuff we were doing in immersive. So it's, you know, the basics of production will get you through. Um other people you'll talk to, you know, through the course of podcasting will talk more specifically about the technologies. Um, but behind all those technologies, you still have to have, you know, the, the basics. Call sheets. So call have, sheets. Your, have your call sheet. <laughs> OK. And directors and sound engineers, all the all the elements we we do need. But what what moment can you take us to a specific moment in time when you you knew like you were going into immersive? I understand the. Um, a lot of the things that you were doing in broadcast and in film or, or directing, they, you know, they go with you. But was there any moment in time you said, hmm, this is interesting. This has a lot of impact. I'm interested. Yeah. 2015, 16, the hype curve of immersive reality. And that's when a lot of companies uh, receive funding. They put up a sign on the front door saying we do VR and they had absolutely no idea what they were doing or, and how to and how to really produce it. Um so, uh, you know, a lot of small companies sort of knocked on my door and, you know, I wasn't necessarily interested. Um, eventually, Jaunt came along. They knew what they were doing. The, you know, they, they at the time were, you know, the leading company in VR. And to me, it was a privilege to sort of, you know, join a company like that. And in the case of Jaunt, there's a lot of catching up on my part to do with with immersive. When I came aboard in Jaunt mid-2016, uh, you know, people had been there for two and three years already. You know, John, John was one of the first early on uh, VR producers. So so I, I was privileged to join them, but also had a lot of catching up to do. And you went quick. to London. I did. Yeah. Yeah. And anything interesting that happened while you were at Jaunt, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Possibly. Do you have anything to share? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, everything we did at Jaunt was interesting. It, it you know, first of all, Jaunt still exists. Um, yeah. They're still doing incredible things in uh, volumetric capture and streaming over 5G, which has not even really cracked yet. Um, <laughs> I think there's a lot of companies announcing their 5G that aren't really 5G yet. So when that actually comes, the technology that John's working on um, is is going to be awesome. Uh, but in terms of the VR business that they're no longer pursuing, unfortunately, everything we did was was interesting and nothing was the same. So there again, I think that you know, you have to have an ability as a producer or director or writer or DP or uh, sound technician to be able to adapt to any scenario if you want to work in VR or if you want to work in, in XR, let's just say, because nothing I've done, no two projects have been the same. There's rare instances uh, where for the Olympic Channel, we created a series of, you know, small films. In that case, we were using the same cameras, the same sound, the same DPs. So there was a bit of a flow to it. But that's an anom anomaly in this industry. It's more often that you're going to be starting from scratch in terms of what technology are we implementing and on onboarding, uh, what crew are we using. You know, nine times out of ten, it's going to be people that haven't worked together before that you're putting into very – demanding situations, often in remote, challenging locations with complex technology to operate. And I know one of the biggest projects at John, or one that got a lot of press, and, and rightfully so, was something you did with Uber. You want to give a <laughs> – share a little bit about that? Uh, as, as, as much as I can um, – Well, how about we talk about the, the actual football element or at least what it did? Yeah. I mean – yeah, it was a lofty goal. It was a lofty. I mean, <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> ha ha. Um, yeah, we 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 were lucky to work with several football clubs when I was um, at John in London. Uh, the first was Manchester City. Uh, we created a pilot project for them. The second was Paris Saint Germain. We were on the field in uh, Paris when Neymar Jr. stepped out on the field for the first time. That was incredible. Um, I think the third one then to come around was Manchester United. So I mean, we're working with all the you know all the top brands. Um, this was a project uh, driven by Copa ninety who were a fantastic partner of ours. I, I can't say enough good things about those guys. Um, they're specialists in user-generated sort of fan football content. So mm -hmm. football from the fans' point of view. Um, for anyone in America, by football, I mean soccer. soccer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because these are all obviously the European football clubs. Um, so Copa 90 really brought this project to us. And, um, you know, we, we provided a VR and in the end AR solution um, to the to an Uber campaign that was global in nature, uh, we produced a film that was uh, premiered in an igloo. It's a nine meter igloo in in Bangalore, Bengaluru in India, and uh, you know the idea was to basically transport um, fans in India to Old Trafford Stadium. So that's about as much as I can say about it. The campaign's out, but you know. It was an incredible experience. Well, bridging continents and uh, cultures, it was it was quite extensive. Yeah, well, and, and you know, as other people say, it's all about evoking emotion. So to see, you know, I, I flew to to Bengaluru to make sure that everything worked. <laughs> That's something we learned early on too. Is that, get executive producers to go on location. <laughs> well, but you have to with this technology because the devil is in the details, and so many things can trip up and go wrong. 
yeah. you know, the audio seven channel versus five. I mean, just anything can go wrong. The speaker setup. You have to be there when these things are executed to make sure that they go right. And yeah, that's a lesson we learned from, you know, not being in a, in a place previously where, you know, things could have gone better than they did. Um, but just watching the, the expressions on these, you know, people in India, Indians, you know, walking in to Huge have this experience. Of, uh, it it of was Manchester. incredible. It was incredible. Um, yeah, we set up in a parking lot outside of a shopping mall in the suburbs of Bangalore and, um, you know, some 3000 people came through. I think we could fit about 30 to 30, 35 in the dome at any one time. But, you know, the content was happening all around them and they just – they literally – we they had uh, – Copenhagen were really genius in their execution, put grass, uh, fake grass on the floor. So, I mean, you really felt like you were standing on the pitch and you saw the stadium all around you and, you know, interactions from the players and you, it took you through the history of the team and everything. That was a true transport, you know, tra- transport. Transportative. Tra- yes, there. That word. Um after that, uh, or was it before you did some work for the Olympics? Yeah. So actually, the the first the first project that I got off the ground at Jaunt was for the Olympics, specifically the Olympic Channel, and uh, they they were looking for three different uh, possible VR shows to do. Uh, so they asked for three different pitches in three different angles, and they ended up choosing one. Uh, which was really originally called Pathfinders, later uh, renamed Trending Gold. Um, global rights, global distribution. You know, again, the basics of production. <laughs> we, you know, when, when you brand, when you brand a show a name, make sure you do your due diligence. Check it against global trademarks, and you know, <laughs> is there anything out there in the space called whatever you know, whatever creative genius name you think you have? Make sure no one else you know has beaten you to it and registered it in, in some small place. Um, the Olympics were great to work with, but, you know, incredibly detail oriented. And that was one of the things that, um, you know, they, they made sure of is that when we went to market with the name trending gold, eventually is what it was that, that, you know, that would be clean globally. Yours. Well, yeah, but, but, but also on a global scale. Sure. So not just in the U.S. and, you know, um, so this was basically following winter athletes on the road to the 28 games in Pyeongchang. And uh, we did snowboard. We did alpine ski. I think those are the obvious ones. Um, we did speed skate. Uh, but the the sort of the, the beautiful one was, um, in my opinion, the Nigerian bobsleigh team. And I remember sitting in a Starbucks in Santa Monica. I was, I was home on, on vacation when I was writing this. At the time, I was living in Europe. And, um, you know, I was just researching. I'm like, what? And, you know, I think Germany had won gold the previous game. Swiss were the runners up. And, you know, there's that natural competitive, you know, you're always looking for some conflict. Like, what's going to be the conflict in this? And it just none of it was resonating. And I just started scratching deeper and deeper into the Internet, as you do, and discovered these three women who are going to be the first team from Nigeria to ever compete in the Winter Games. And they had a beautiful story. Um, you know, it was it just felt right for the time uh, to focus on women and this challenge. Um, you know, they're in a country that tends to be very male driven and male dominated. Uh, but here they were, you know, rising up and they had this dream. And one of the episodes is called Dream Big Nigeria. And we sent a crew basically around the world with them. We went to Lagos, we went to Nigeria, we went to Canada and Calgary where they trained. And then a couple of them live in Houston, Texas. So 
lots of snow there. So yeah, well, that's why they go up to Calgary <laughs> yeah. for training. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, it was incredible. And that series, uh, just that series alone, brought us, I think, to seven countries on four continents. That's including yeah. South Korea, Nigeria, Switzerland, uh, Canada, U.S. Obviously. Well, I like the way that you're actually making a point uh, for story does matter and having a compelling story to tell makes a big difference. A lot of that credit on this series goes to Nicholas Deloy, who's the commissioning editor for Olympic Channel. And he and I, right from the start, just had the same vision. We're like, well, I also saw it from the promotional point of view. <laughs> you know, I, th- <laughs> I thought, you know, w- what story can we lift out of this that people are going to care about and that is going to get coverage on ESPN and, you know, other things? Because, sure, we're doing a VR series for the Olympics. That's interesting from sort of a tech point of view. And I know TechCrunch and Wired and those guys are going to be interested in that. But how are we going to get more broader press? Like, you know, maybe ESPN and maybe CNN. So that was a conscious decision on your part. Oh, 100 percent. Well, whenever whenever I look to create anything at work, it's always how are we going to amplify this and get the message out to the world? And that goes back to my roots at Entertainment Tonight, where everything was was a promotion of something. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> whatever set we were visiting, whatever news story we seemed to be doing, it was, you know. In context of a. The final VO of the piece was always coming Thursdays on Fox. <laughs> you know, it was, there was some promotional piece to it. So, yeah, but, th- but that's extremely important because otherwise you're creating an amazing story in a vacuum and no one's ever going to hear about it. Well, you did these. So, you, so what we can, you know, learn from this uh, two pieces that you mentioned, you know, first the Olympics and, and the other with um, Manchester United – you had some great opportunities at John, and can you tell us a little bit about the end, what that meant emotionally, um, or how that happened, or anything you want to share about that? Because for the VR community, it was it you know it helped keep that meme going. A VR is dead, but I don't think you share that vision. So, well, no, no, VR is definitely not dead. Um, I think I think it taught the broader VR industry. Um, a small lesson in that right now VR is more geared towards enterprise and it's more geared towards uh, training, training police officers, training doctors, training pilots. It's things uh, where a company is going to have more of a budget to invest in creating a product than uh, than an IP or rights owner is going to make great content because the headset penetration was sort of slow. I think that's that was – that was the thing that no one really counted on. We all thought that headsets would sell faster than they did globally. And they didn't. So lesson learned. But it, to answer your previous question, yeah, it was emotional. But for me, ended kind of in a great way because we had one last uh, wonderful project that took us to um, Ibiza. And we filmed four back-to-back uh, shows, which are basically the closing season um, of David Guetta, Black Coffee, Eric Prids, and Ants. Ants is a collection of sort of DJs. So <laughs> it wasn't the, bad to go out yeah. <laughs> listening to David Guetta every day <laughs> screening rough cuts. That's fun. I mean, that is fun. Literally fun. So from there, what happened next after Jaunt? Well, after Jaunt, I um, sort of a very natural, you know, career progression uh a lot of clients who enjoyed working with me and my team at John, uh, you know, some have been in touch afterwards and in looking for a new home in the VR space. Um, I, I 
interesting story connected with a company called Iconic Engine through a previous colleague at Entertainment Tonight who's a senior producer there. So it's again, you know, it's the, the basics and, you know, it's a very who you know business. Um, your relationships are everything. And uh, yeah, I'm very, you know, she was my in a way supervisor back at ET. Uh, we did Cannes probably a dozen years together. We did Sundance more than a dozen years, Oscars, Globes and all that. Um, and now we're both able to, you know, to take our skills and, and help Iconic Engine spin off and grow from digital domain. Two things I want to talk a little bit about is, and you kind of mentioned it, you didn't foresee at John or the industry rather, didn't foresee how headsets are not being snapped up at a, at a higher rate. Is there anything we can do in the industry other than buying um, headsets to help propel this VR adoption? Is there anything we can do in the industry? Uh, yeah, keep creating great, uh, you know, compelling content that makes you want to put a headset on and experience it. Um, a lot of the difficulty, I think, was in the headsets themselves. And I think there, you know, there is a clunkiness and an awkwardness. And, you know, my least favorite moment about working in VR in the past three years was sort of doing demos. And that's largely alleviated now because the headsets are a lot better. You can easily sideload content onto them, which means taking the original file, simply plugging in a cable, transferring it onto the headset so it's there. So therefore, you can watch it on an airplane. You can go into someone's office where you don't have to fuss around with connecting to their Wi-Fi anymore. Um, so these are all things we call friction points in the industry. And as they quickly get ironed out, um, and as the headsets improve, we're now getting some headsets with true 8K uh, visibility. One, you know, it's an evolving industry. So right now, that true 8K is when you're looking straight forward, and then you know the, the field of vision right outside, you know, drops down to like 5K. Um, but still, it's better than the 4K we had, you know, a year ago, year and a half ago. Um, so, so even as the headsets get better in their quality and ability to deliver a realistic looking image. Um, it's going to make that experience better for people. Well, then you need to see more people wearing them at the airport or. Yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, one of the great things about the jaunt camera, believe it or not, people are still using that camera. They're still. And it's funny because they're just now kind of realizing, like, actually, that was kind of a great camera. Uh, it's 120 frames a second in 8K. It's a great image in stereo. Um, it's the only camera off the shelf that does that. Um, but it's again, like you didn't really realize the, the beauty of that in a headset that's a headset that's only showing, you know, a 4k file and the bit you're actually looking at, you know, is 2k or less. So as the headsets get better, I think the end of cameras are now getting cheaper and faster and easier to use. Storage was a big issue. Where would you, or do you foresee, um, trends in immersive Right now, where you're sitting. I think location-based entertainment is going to be a big thing because I think one of the bets that was made early on is that people – and it's that famous picture of like the family sitting on their couch and they're all in a headset. That's not really how people want to engage with technology. They do want to have a unique experience and they want to be moved emotionally. They want to be transported and they want to have a connection, but they also want to do that socially. So, you know, I still think we're in the early stages of social VR. That's going to get a lot better. Um, you know, avatars are only ever going to go so far. 
you know, that it's already you're, you're detaching because it's not something real. It's a cartoon, you know, version of yourself. Um, but I think that the location based is where it's going to be, because even if you're not having the experience with someone at that moment, if you have an amazing five minute experience that they also are having the same five minutes, you can both take off the headset. You're like, wow. And that's a different thing than just sitting at home, isolated on your couch watching something yourself and also uh shared location experiences so going back to the igloo things like things like that and also spaces where you're going to have 10 20 30 chairs you know set up and people will go in sit down have the same experience get up walk out and be able to talk about it just like the cinema that's been a tried and true uh medium for 100 years so i i think we're actually seeing vr come full circle back to that and bring people back to the cinema theaters back together yeah you're bringing them back together in a queue outside the theater you're sitting them down together in a queue and all of that shouldn't be discounted because that's an experience that people there's a connection to be made while that's happening and i think the first version of vr headsets where you know oh here you got your samsung phone well just for 79 bucks you can add on this plastic headset it didn't really create there's no sense of community in that and people, you know, if they had trouble figuring out how to work it, there's no one there to, you know, troubleshoot. And it was it was a bit clunky. Do you see, Kanan, anything for people coming up in the industry that you'd like to give them some good advice on things that they could, you know, be a beneficiary of your storied history? Um, you know, everyone's career path is going to be different. Some people are going to thrive by being a specialist. And and really being the master of one art or technology or skill, um, others are going to be more generalists. I think it depends on what kind of experience you want to have in your career. I think I think specialists um, have a more calmer career path because they know they know how to do one thing. They really focus in on that, and that can sort of just be their guiding light, um, and will carry them through their career. Generalists. Sometimes you're called upon for your producing skills. Sometimes you're called upon to be a director. Sometimes you're called upon to be a writer. So it's it can be a little more colorful and creative, but you also have to – it keeps you on your toes a little bit more. Well, we got to be on our toes. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Never a bad place. Never a bad place to be, but on your toes. All right. Well, anything else you want to share before we? Nope. Nope. I think we're good. <laughs> Cut. I think that's it. Thank you so much. No, thank you, Kanan. Appreciate it. Yep. Yeah.